This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. Kevin McCarthy is out as U.S. House Speaker in an unprecedented vote of the House members. What does that mean for the budget process? What does it mean for representative government and the continuing resolution set to run out in just a few weeks? Cato's Vice President for Government Affairs, Chad Davis, spoke with another Cato Vice President, John Samples, earlier today. Could you give us a sense just of... Uh, why we have a motion to vacate uh, speakership and and what occurred yesterday? Well, ultimately, you have a uh, motion, I think, because there's a great deal, uh, a couple of things. There's a, a, there is and has been, particularly over the last uh, say seven or eight years, a great deal of disagreement and division within the Republican uh, caucus in the House of Representatives. That's one thing. And part of that division manifests itself uh, and for some time now as a, uh, uh, really an offense or a resistance to the leadership of uh, the House of Representatives uh, when you have a Republican speaker and when you don't have a Republican speaker to any kind of minority leaders. Um, and that's because I think there's differences over uh, policies, in particular policies. There's also differences, uh, I, I think, about uh, the whole changes in the Republican Party where elites and the establishment in Washington are seen as the primary uh, thing that the Republicans should be against. Uh, on specific issues, there's a belief that when uh, Kevin McCarthy put together the votes he needed to become Speaker, which took a very long time and itself was uh, not quite unprecedented, but it had been a long time since it was so difficult to elect a Speaker, that he agreed to let uh, the people who opposed him have seats on the Rules Committee. And in doing so, uh, they gained power, but they, there was a belief that uh, among those uh, insurgents, as it were, that they have said, that the agreements they made at the time with Speaker McCarthy were violated by his willingness to pass a continuation, uh, a budget continuation uh, into the uh, uh, statement. So that was the moment of, uh, that things broke down. Uh, but there's this larger question why you can uh, why they could uh, remove him, vacate him from the job as speaker. And the answer there is that uh, he was elected by Republicans exclusively. And you if you had a small number of Republicans uh, refuse to vote for him, that he was going to leave the be taken out of the speakership, and that that's what happened. Uh, and so, one, he would have had to have depend on Democrats to vote for him as speaker to keep him in the the position, and they decided not. They looked like they were going to do that for a while. They may end up doing that down the line, but for the moment, uh, they refused to do so. So he just didn't have uh, the support that he was required to have to be the leader of the caucus. But the larger issues are populism versus elitism and policy differences. Uh, and a, I think a a real longstanding, uh, it's longstanding actually, uh, disaffection among Republican primary voters with 
Washington, with being involved in Washington. Uh, and on the other side, Donald Trump. I mean, the idea that Donald Trump was proposed to be Speaker of the House in, in lieu of McCarthy. Uh, and, you know, the notion that you could have someone who is not a member of the branch uh, be a, a leader of the branch and who's, in fact, an, if anything, a candidate for office and a former chief executive, that, that sort of just doesn't fit well with the American scheme of government, to put it mildly. I saw uh, yesterday conversations, again, as you mentioned, about uh, President Trump as a possible uh, option for speaker. And I remember uh, when uh, Speaker McCarthy was having trouble getting elected the first time, there was conversations of outside uh, people coming in and do it. Uh, are you aware of any um, time in history where we've had a speaker who was not uh, actually a representative uh, at the time? No, I'm not. Uh, because it's, I mean, the strange thing about the leadership is it kind of looks like a, a parliamentary system, but it clearly, you know, it's not. It's a, a, a legislative a system that has its own separation. It's not tired, tied to the executive. So, and also it's in a system that is based on a division and a kind of balancing of powers. So to have, uh, you know, you've had Supreme Court cases about uh, too much kind of uh, carryover from one branch to the other. It's sort of, as I say, it's very hostile or anathema to the notion of division of powers within the government. And it's a, uh, it is, however, not hostile to a kind of populist idea, which is the idea that the people have a will, uh, the people want things, the uh, a candidate president is the leader of that uh, majority and that they should dominate the entire government right yeah. and it's sort of like it's sort of like saying trump should be appointed to the supreme court or uh while he's still a candidate he should be appointed to the supreme court it's really goes against the idea of, of weakening the government uh while maintaining governance which is a central constitutional idea the other thing I would say is, it's it, quite apart from everything else, uh, the House, you know, the b big story is that the House, we're all, I've been told all my life or read all my life, is the House is pretty different from the Senate, where you can have unlimited debate, right? And uh, you have some rules and so on, but the rules tend to favor that. House is a lot larger, and you really have to have some kind of structure about and, and basically control over the floor, over the floor, and what comes to the floor. And if you don't do that, you're likely to have a kind of chaotic situation, or likely to get nothing done. In the past, it doesn't have to be the speaker. It's been the speaker who've had strongly centralized power for about uh, getting toward thirty years now. And however, in the past, committee chairmen, along with the leadership, were very powerful for many, many years uh, in the United States. And even subcommittee chairs have been powerful in the past. Yeah, I uh, worked in the House when Bill Thomas was chairman of Ways and Means, and uh, he certainly was an extremely strong chairman. I definitely see your point on the strong chairman. As we begin to look forward, and people are make, try to make their predictions on what will happen, I wonder if you could give us your thoughts on what we should expect over the next week. Um, I've read that 
uh, interim speaker, um, McHenry, thinks that we might be able to wrap this up in a week, has planned some debates amongst those that have uh, entered the race. Um, to me, it seems optimistic to see this wrapped up in a week, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, uh, there's two possibilities. There's uh, an alternative could actually attract support on the, in the normal way, and you could and become speaker. Uh, uh, Steve Salizi is one of those people that seems like a likely candidate. There are others. Uh, people are talking. I read about Jim Jordan might be a candidate. Uh, so you could actually get that support. It's hard to believe that. Uh, you could have it that well. You could say, well, McCarthy was widely distrusted, or was at least distrusted by enough people that his situation was unique. And if you had somebody else, they might be more trusted, and so on. But I think uh, the same sort of control, which is essentially control by a small minority, uh, is going to be insisted on for any new speaker. So. All in all, you would have to expect that even if that works out, that that uh, person is going to be dependent on the uh, the same sort of situation, find themselves in the same situation as McCarthy did, unless there's a very strong public reaction that is doing deep harm to the Republicans in Congress or to the Republicans who have led the insurgency. And I don't just don't see that on that happening. Uh, the other thing that is possible is that eventually the Democrats will maybe return McCarthy to the chair. Uh, and to do that, they've been very, this is transactional politics. Most of the times they try to cover up the transactional politics, but not this time. And, and so some of the people that, uh, would be whose support would be uh, sought among the Democrats have said, "Well, we'll do that, but there's going to be a price." Yeah. <laughs> and the, you know, I mean, the odd thing about all of this is you have a very tightly uh, competitive House and Senate and congressional, you know, American political system. But what you could end up with here, if what is demanded is substantive, is that you could have, for all practical purposes. Uh, a Democratic majority in both the House and the Senate. That is, the House would end up uh, with a, through a speaker passing things that Democratic minority, small Democratic minority, wants as a price to be paid for uh, to keep uh, a speaker in the chair. And then, of course, you have a Democratic Senate. So there's always these problems with these kinds of uh, unusual strategies is that you can end up there's always like, is McCarthy worse than what the Democratic majority wants, right? And the problem is you might end up with that. Something I think probably, I think the members that deposed McCarthy think that, uh, say, what a majority of the Democratic caucus wants on policy is probably worse than that. But you might end up with that if he comes back through Democratic votes. So... These are always the problems, I think, of politics in general, as unintended consequences, but also of populism, where, you know, you end up in a system that has these, you have a big long-range goal and a big-picture goal, and you're working in a system where there's very specific things that have to be done, and they can have perverse outcomes. Because um, I don't think, the, the even though Donald Trump uh, 
enjoy strong support among Republicans nationwide, that uh, they would be particularly happy with uh, a Democratic policy agenda that was more so than otherwise, right? Uh, so I don't know if you think those things are plausible at all, because that's more of a game theory type thing that I do. Uh, but as an experienced person, uh, it seems to me that you know the folks that move to depose him in the Republican Party uh, believe that they're getting good PR through all of this, and they don't have a lot of incentive to support a candidate that can win. Because um, as this goes on, keep, people keep talking about him. Um, on the Democratic side, uh, it, you know, it seems as though they had essentially had a bit of a political win in the last CR um, that was orchestrated by uh, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, but then on the other hand, uh, you know, I've read a lot that uh, Democratic members were hesitant to help him because he's such a prolific fundraiser and they felt that they would be in danger politically if he remained in that position. So it, uh, you know, I think you could make arguments either way on whether that shifts at all over the next uh, couple of weeks. So I think those are all very good points to consider that you brought up. Yeah, it's, uh, it does. Uh, the, the disturbing thing here, which may perhaps is wrong to be disturbing, is the political system seems to be under the strain of changes in the society and differences in politics and also kind of. Uh, the way the country's changed in the last 10 years seems to be not working the way it usually worked. Now, you could say, you don't worry about it. That's, this is what happens when you're going through a period of political change and you'll come out the other end and it may be better or worse, but that's, you know, it's not falling apart in the way that it looks like. You could, one interpretation would be, oh, the things are falling apart. Uh, but, Maybe the other interpretation is that this is, you know, I mean, our institutions were basically, uh, in large measure, were uh, created and developed in the 1930s. It's been seven, eight, nine decades now. They've gotten kind of old, and they, you, it, we might be living in a time where you're evolving again in the way you did after the Civil War or in 1789, right? And that might be what we're going through here. Uh, on the other hand, maybe everything's falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the fact that this kind of, it does look like we're moving toward a, almost a parliamentary system in which you can impeach the prime minister, that is the president quite often. Uh, and also you can remove uh, the prime minister in the legislature mm -hmm. quite often, maybe. Uh, although I don't think the Democrats are going to do anything like this. Uh, Pelosi had lots of, remember when uh, AOC camped yeah. out in her office, uh, but that she was camping out because she didn't have the votes, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, uh, so I, I don't think they're necessarily, but who knows over time it could spread. Yeah. This really is such an unprecedented situation. I'm, I'm curious what you see um, moving forward if this drags out for a long time. And let's say none of the scenarios that we've talked about produces a, a new speaker. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of debate. We, we now have an interim speaker, which none of us have experienced. Um, and I've seen debate as to uh, what kind of power that position actually holds. Um, I think that uh, 
Representative McHenry is so far, publicly at least, uh, portrayed it more as a caretaker position, just basically control the internal debate on electing a new speaker, and that's pretty much it. Um, but there's some out there saying, well, actually, he could have more power if the members allow it, and he could end up in this role for a while. Um, just kind of curious what what you see, what what uh, what you see as the various possibilities if this becomes a something that drags out over several weeks or or who knows more. Yeah, I mean, the political science thing always was the house is the way it is, and there's variance, but there has to have a lot of structure. You can't without that structure, it doesn't function. So the first political science answer is without uh, a speaker, the, uh, the House doesn't function. Uh, and then the uh, sort of uh, substitute of the moment, no one really knows what that means uh, and, and how, what kind of process you have to figure out what it does mean and what are the powers. I suspect that caretaker function is going to be the most likely but on the other side, again, if you come back to the no speaker means uh, it, uh, is the floor going to be open to everyone? Uh, and then how does the, if that's true, then how does, you may just have a series of frustrating attempts to have votes that don't happen, right? And And the other problem, of course, is Congress is, Congress is very un disliked institution <laughs> by the American public and has been for some time. It's fair to say this isn't going to uh, increase, I think, uh, the trust and uh, admiration the public has. But part of the reason they don't like it is because of conflict, right? There's this weird view by the public of Congress, which because you and I would say, well, they're supposed to settle all these conflicts. But people don't like that, and they sort of transfer it to Congress. But that, too, is going to make it worse. I think the budget issue and the, uh, you know, having to have a budget and all that stuff, it would seem that that has to be addressed. It can't just be left. Maybe they'll find a way to have a permanent kind of CR, which they did never address that. But I think not. And so that may be ultimately these two uh, things are converging, but you just have to hope they're not trains converging on the same point at some time in November, right? Yeah, we're uh, we're only uh, about probably five weeks away from the expiration of the CR we just passed, and um, it, I mean it's not out of the question that we might still be trying to figure out what's going to happen in the House of Representatives as we're approaching that debate. So that you know, I think it could have a dramatic impact on a extremely big issue in the not-too-distant future. Well, there is an additional question here, which I, I sort of think about, which is, you know, this was a relatively small number of people uh, in the that uh, did this. And you have to, the question you ask about, and this is sort of the Pelosi thing, you know, and what, where are the, where are the sort of ideological views of these people inside the party? Are the, do they represent like a majority of the party uh, or not? And sort of, Pelosi's thing, I think, in, in with uh, AOC was that, you know, that sort of her left-leaning sort of liberalism was the heart of the party, and AOC was extreme, and that to, to have her in dominating the policy agenda was an anti-democratic thing, right? And so that question is raised here, too. Once you make uh, the 
functioning of the House depended on a small number of people. That's what you do in the Senate, <laughs> really, right? But Senate's a lot smaller institution. It has norm, used to have norms anyway and all that stuff. Or it can have skills like McConnell and you get the stuff done. But in the House, none of that seems to be true. And I, he, you know, uh, however right someone may be in a, in a liberal democracy, at some point, you got to have some kind of majoritarianism at work. And, and that's, I think, a larger issue. If you can depose a, a four or five people could do that, you're going to have trouble ruling and uh, governing. Which may, and that sounds good to a libertarian, but it, we don't know, right, <laughs> what the outcome would be. John Samples is author of This Struggle to Limit Government, among other books. Chad Davis is Cato's Vice President for Government Affairs. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>